Dear friends, turning now our prayerful attention to God's holy word as we turn now to the book of Joshua and the 10th chapter. This passage has become very familiar to us. I trust we'll continue to read it and study it in the course of our days, the short life that God gives us. Joshua, the chapter 10, and once again I read from the verse 1 through to the verse 27. This is God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. May the Lord give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word. We turn to Joshua chapter 10, reading from the verse 1 through to the verse 27. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king. So he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, For it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua, to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. And there shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Heron and smote them to Azekah and to Machedah. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were going down to Beth Heron, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, Stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? 
So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel and Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Machada. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found hid in a cave at Machada. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave, and set men by it for to keep them. And stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies, and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter into their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. And it came to pass, when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter, till they were consumed, that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda. In peace none moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, Open the mouth of the cave, and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so, and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass, when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel, and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near, and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. And afterward Joshua smote them, and slew them, and hanged them on five trees, And they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass, at the time of the going down of the sun, that Joshua commanded, and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid, and laid great stones in the cave's mouth, which remained until this very day. And we know the Lord will add his blessing. Amen. We pray that the Lord might graciously Give us an understanding of his word and pray that the Lord will bless that public reading of his most precious and holy word. All to the glory of his name and to the good of our needful and never dying souls. Well dear friends, I turn your prayerful attention once again there to the book of Joshua and the 10th chapter, this chapter has become very familiar to us over the last few weeks. This is now the third sermon in this chapter, and there's a lot more to go in this very chapter itself. But we have been considering the many things that take place in this long chapter. Last Lord's Day, we considered the longest day that perhaps has ever been, as the Lord gave a double day to Joshua and the children of Israel to fight the Lord's battle there. And 
Indeed, victory, as we have read here, was won. Victory was given. The Lord gave answer to prayer against these five Canaanite kings that had come out against Joshua and the Gibeonites. Firstly, they came out against the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites had made a pact, had made a treaty. A covenant was made with them and with Joshua, and they became the servants of God in the temple. They were to be wood hewers and water collectors. They surrendered to God's people here, Israel. God is bringing Israel into the land of the Canaanites. This is all part of God's judgment upon the wicked, the ungodly people. They have received warning now for hundreds of years, and now judgment has come. Jericho has recently fallen, the city entirely destroyed. Also, the city of Ai has fallen, and those kings utterly destroyed. The people of Gibeon, having heard of what's happened already, surrendered to the people of God. Certainly they surrendered to the Lord. They feared what might happen to them. They've seen the destruction of Jericho. They've seen the destruction of Ai, and they seek peace. They weren't quite honest by the way they went about it, and they were eventually discovered, but their motive was not wrong or evil. They desired peace with the people of God, and the Lord did give them that peace. But as a result, we saw what happened. There was an unprovoked attack that came from the five Canaanite kings, led by King Adonai Zedek. And that name, Adonai Zedek, firstly, Adonai means Lord. Zedek means righteousness. And of course, he is a false king of righteousness. He's not like the old Melchizedek of Salem. Of course, as we've said before, Jerusalem was once called Salem. But this king is a wicked king, and he comes out against the people of God. And he gathers together with him four other kings, and they make war with the children of Gibeon first. And then we remember how the children of Gibeon cried out for help from Joshua, and how immediately help was sent. I think that the Canaanite kings must have been very surprised when Joshua immediately sent help because no doubt they would have heard of the way in which perhaps they might have deceived the children of Israel by saying that they were from a faraway land and then soon they just came to their cities and it was discovered that they were in fact neighbors but the Canaanite kings must have been very surprised when Joshua came to the immediate help of the Gibeonites And then in the midst of that battle, we remember how Joshua and his troops and his men, the mighty men of Israel, the 601,000 fighting men, went straight to the battle and they marched all night and they didn't get any sleep at all. And then they fought them immediately. And then Joshua, realizing that the battle still had much further to go, was in great pursuit to destroy his enemies He cried out in the midst of that battle, remember last time, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And God answered that prayer of Joshua. God gave him light, 
God gave him time and God gave him all the strength that he needed to win that battle with the people of God. And so he fights them. And uh, this rest of the account here in Joshua chapter 10 gives the account of the defeat and the destruction of these five kings in the south and their people, the southern Canaanite confederacy and their armies, and God, how he gave power to overcome them. God sent hailstones from heaven, and many of the enemies were killed. In fact, most of them were killed by hailstones. Great hailstones came down from heaven and destroyed these wicked heathen people. And again, I remind you what I said last week, this is not Joshua's war, but this is the great cause because the king of kings must come into this world. And of course, God is also judging unrighteousness here in Canaan. But the Lord answered this prayer. And now what we find, the battle carries on, but these kings now, the people, their people are destroyed, but these kings flee into a cave. And I want to read once again at the verse 16, the verse 16 uh, down through the end, because this is where we pick up this morning. But these five kings fled, that is, after their men were defeated, and hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told, Joshua saying, the five kings are found hid in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave, and set men by it for to keep them. And stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies, and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter into their cities. For the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. And it came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they were consumed and the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so, and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua. And Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against you whom ye fight. And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. And of course, as we read further on, they buried in the very cave that they were hiding in. Now we want to take up our time this morning with these verses with these kings that hoped to escape the judgment of God, that God had decreed upon them. God had decreed that they would be destroyed, but they're also responsible, aren't they, for their lack of repentance. They ought to have repented, certainly when they see all of their people destroyed. But what do they do? They go and they hide in a cave. And this, my dear friends, is typical of natural man. He goes and he hides in a cave and he hides from the living God and so as soon as Joshua hears that they hide in a cave 
He orders that his men go and they take a big stone, a big boulder, and they roll it over the mouth of the cave and shut them in to that cave. And so therefore they remain prisoners in the very cave that they were seeking to hide in. That's very ironic, isn't it? Now, friends, I believe that this passage of Scripture sounds a very clear note of the message of the Bible, that God is coming in wrath. God is coming in judgment. And I want to address particularly the unsaved this morning, and there will be lessons and application also for the believer this morning. Here we have, in this scene, we could say we have a picture of the foreshadowing of a greater judgment The judgment of the great Joshua. We know that in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Apostle Paul, he expounds the Lord Jesus Christ to be the one who truly gives his people rest. And that Joshua didn't really give them a spiritual rest. He may have given them rest in the land, but not the ultimate rest that God gives his people in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this passage does show us that God is angry with sinners in their sin. It does show us that. But it reminds us once again that there are millions, even today, billions of people who spend their lives rebelling against the Christ, rebelling against the true Joshua, the, the greater Joshua. They ignore his authority. And maybe people sat here today, you ignore the authority of Christ. And it seems like these kings, you seem to temporarily get away with God's judgment. But my friends, God's judgment is coming upon all impenitent, upon all ungodly. And while these men thought that they would escape, they would not escape. Just like these men, they they remain trapped in a cave. And people make their own caves in this world where they think they can be safe. But you know it becomes a trap for them as they wait the eternal day, the great day of judgment when God shall usher all into an eternity of fiery hell and indignation, when God shall come in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. And I want us this morning to think of this certain unavoidable judgment that is coming upon this world, this judgment that is coming upon sinners. You think of these kings, they were warned for centuries, weren't they? For over 400 years as these Canaanite nations, they knew and they had heard, they'd seen foreshadowings of this judgment coming. They saw it in Egypt. They heard it through the voice of Abraham and no doubt that word had spread to the Canaanite nations. This is why there was enmity They knew much of the truth of God's word, these Canaanite nations. They had heard of the recent destruction of Pharaoh and his armies. They had heard of the destruction of Jericho. They had heard of the destruction of Ai. Warnings, warnings, over 400 years. God in his anger and his wrath is coming to judge sinners. And he is judging now sin in the land. Now, these kings have paid no heed to divine warning. And in fact, they've even just recently seen their armies defeated. And one would have thought that have had the sense to do exactly what the children of Gibeon did. Make a treaty, make peace. First of all, they fight Joshua. And then they 
having not accomplished that, and they were utterly defeated in that fight, there was no way that they could stand against Joshua. And having failed the fight, they flee to flight to the cave. And there's now hope for them. They've lost in the battlefield. And people are like this in this world. You know, people live lives in their wickedness, as it were, with fist held up to, to, to the sky, to God, despising God, saying, who is Christ that he should rule over us? That's the thought, isn't it? The rulers of this earth, we're told in the psalm, and people despise the living God, and they say, this is my life, and I'll live it how I want. I'll live how I please, and who is the great Joshua? Who is the Lord Jesus that he should rule over me? Now, think of it. They were most perturbed, weren't they? When they heard of the allegiance that was made with Joshua by Gibeon. And therefore they go out against Gibeon. But one would have thought they would have had the sense to see that even now after their own men and their own people have been destroyed, that they would have sought God. Well, I think that this forms a perfect picture of the condition of the natural heart of man in his sin, who does not repent, who does not seek after God. You know, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he gives us the anatomy of man in his heart. He looks at his heart, he looks at his mouth, he looks at his feet, he looks at his hands. And he says, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they're all together unprofitable, there is none that doeth good. There is no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. And then he gets to the end of that. He says, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And then he ends with this. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. And that is true for these men here. Now let me just say, friends. The Bible does not gloss over the sins of people. It does not gloss over the sins of mankind. It does not paint a pretty picture of man. It's not good. When we read Genesis 6, it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. And God looks down from heaven, as he says in the Psalms, and he sees that none doeth good. No, not one. This is the heart of all men. The picture that God paints of man is that he is absolutely arrogant, that he is proud, that he thinks far too highly of himself. And I think until a man sees that he is utterly filthy before God, he has no hope. The problem with mankind is not that he needs a dose of self-esteem. No. But that he needs to know that he stands condemned before God, that he is unholy, that he is unclean, that he is a sinner by birth, that he is a sinner in thought, that he is a sinner in word, that he is a sinner in deed. You think of it today, if you are unsaved, every breath you take tells you that there is a God. Every cell, every fiber of your being cries out, there is a God. As you look outside and through the window, you see the trees and the leaves and the birds and the grass. Everything is crying out, there is God. God is. Your whole body cries out, God is. And as you look at your life, it's one picture of 
determination against God and that you are a great sinner and that you are deserving of his wrath. Until then, my friends, until you see that you are enmity with God, you will not sue for God's mercy. You'll not seek him for pardon. You'll not seek him for grace. These men are absolutely arrogant. And that's the human heart. The human heart says, I will not repent. I'll fight God all my life. And then when I cannot fight him, I'll flee from him. But I tell you, friend, you'll never flee from the living God. You'll never fly from him. There is a God, and he is in heaven. And he says in his word, Psalm 46, I will be glorified amongst the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be, God says. The word of God is telling us constantly that he is coming to judge. Can you not hear his voice? Can you not hear as people die? Does not conscience tell you? Does it not accuse you that you have sinned against God? There's that inner voice of conscience, friend. That's what Paul says. The law of God is written upon men's hearts. Conscience is accusing or else excusing men. God has written eternity upon men's hearts. People want to talk about heaven when they, you know, when they're dying, but not when they're living. They want a a promise of eternity. They want their families to be comforted. Oh, he, she is in heaven now. But they never darkened the door of a church, never prayed to God. And they live in darkness. Well, I tell you, friends, if you ignore this one great Joshua, the Lord Jesus, you will meet him in judgment. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's to believe upon Christ, not simply to believe in him, but to believe upon him. For your salvation, you have no hope apart from Christ. You see, hope was in the mercy that Joshua could give. Like he gave the Gibeonites. These kings could have been spared. Their their people could have been spared. But they didn't look to God's mercy. And this is the overture of this passage. My dear friends, warning sinners to repent and to seek God's mercy, to sue for that mercy in Christ because you cannot hide from him. What a pathetic scene we have here. These kings were big, weren't they, once? Commanding their generals, commanding their people. But what pathetic little men they are now running into caves. And by providence, providence, they all end up in the same cave. It's, it's quite staggering, isn't it? And you can imagine them perhaps mocking each other now. And here they are at Makeda. And the fact, you see... You notice in this passage that the people of Makeda house them and keep them and harbor them in this little cave. They are destroyed and the king of Makeda is destroyed as well. And that's a reminder, friends, to be an accomplice of sin is sin itself, isn't it? We're all going to meet with the judge one day. These men, having failed the fight, now go for flight. And it's interesting here, they, the very place of hiding becomes the trap in which they have to wait their execution. And I want us to think about that this morning. The very place where they have fled to becomes the trap. 
that place where they trusted in becomes their prison and place where they shall have to wait the execution of Joshua. There may be somebody here today who's, for years, you've come to church, and yet you are, you're hiding in this little cave of church. That's your cave. You come along, and this is your place of security. But you know nothing about the hiding place of Jesus Christ. You know nothing of the one there in Isaiah 32. And a man shall be as an hiding place. You know nothing of Christ. You take your refuge in the church. Your hope is in some seat that you have here. And friends that maybe you've associated yourselves with. And all you're doing is you're trying to escape. You're trying to flee from the real problem. You have not sought peace. You've not sought mercy with God the Father through his dear Son. Think of the words again there of the Lord Jesus. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But you have your little cave. You have your hope there. Church attendance. And you see that becomes a trap for many people. You feel comfortable there. I tell you, it's no place to be comfortable. In a church seat, in a pew, in the finest of buildings. Some people take false refuge in atheism. And they say, well, there is no God. And they, they just uh, tell themselves that. And they take some comfort in that. There is no God. The scriptures say the fool has said in his heart there is no God. He said in his heart, he knows in his head there is a God, but it's a heart problem. It's a problem of the heart. He doesn't want to submit. She doesn't want to submit. They don't want to yield to Christ. Well, my friends, the word of God tells you that he's coming. He's coming to judge sin and and repentance and ungodliness. And you may battle with your, in your will against him and against his commandments. And you will say, I will not have God to tell me how to live. I want to live how I want to live. Paul says, who can resist his will? Who can resist his power? And he will bring judgment, my dear friends. In the book of the Revelation, we read there, Revelation 22.10 And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. But you notice, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Friends, if we have not forgiveness and if we have not the pardoning, of Christ we are filthy in our sin and we will be judged the books will be opened up and where you take comfort let me say maybe the trap where you will lay in wait to that final day my friend you cannot fight God neither can you flee from him in a more positive sense we think of David 
Remember what he said in the Psalm 139, the verse 7. He said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Now while they thought that nobody could see them in the cave, God knew where they were. And they were discovered in time. And friends, there is coming a day where we're reminded in the book of the Revelation where we read that the kings of the earth and the men of the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said unto the mountains and the rocks, this is what people will be doing. They'll be crying out for the rocks and the mountains, fall upon us for the wrath of the Lamb is come. There's a greater day of judgment, my dear friend that you will not escape. So these five kings fled here to this cave of Makeda for safety, but it was a false security. And I remind you again, there are many false securities that people have. False securities. There's, as I said, atheism. You know, As we said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, but man knows there is a God. It's a a heart problem. The lie that there is no God, it's a foolish argument, isn't it? There's so much evidence and even the atheist knows it. There is a God. Paul tells us that what is to be known of God, he says in Romans 1, is manifest to them so that they are without excuse His invisible attributes are clearly seen by the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. I remember some years ago, a young man for probably two or three years would come out on a Thursday when I had some other men helping me to to minister there in the open air on a Thursday. And he made no apology that he was a rank atheist. A very bright man as far as university went, and he was a student, and he would pass by at lunchtime and try to debate with us, and he would get angry, and very often hot-tempered, and he would often stop, and he would shout, and he would rail, and he would say that he pitied us while we preached in the open air. And once I said to him, I've got a question for you. I think I mentioned it on Saturday in the open air anyway, but the first question I asked him was, if my belief in God has been able to give me peace of conscience, if my faith in Christ has changed my life or the faith that he has given me and the life that he has given me now and the fact that God has blessed me and I've been able to do others good and God has transformed my life, if after all of that I'm wrong about God's judgment, what have I lost? And he couldn't answer me. He was dead silent. And then I said to him, young man, I've got another question for you. I said, what if after all of this, I'm right? You tell me what you've lost. Everything. Everything. And that's the point. That young man was speechless. And I tell you, you will not answer in that day. You will not have a word to say. Conscience will accuse you because you know these things in your heart. People in their pride deceive themselves. This is what Jeremiah says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
It deceives itself. People also think that they have much time. That's what the rich farmer thought, didn't he? My soul, take ease, thou hast much time. And you see, wealth is a great deceiver. People hide themselves in the caves of wealth and health. But friends, those things can be taken in an instant, can't they? Gone. What did the Lord Jesus say? But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Again, some go into the cave of self-satisfying religion. Some people think that God can be appeased with a little tip of the hat. You know, I'll just give him a little bit of respect. My friends, he sees the heart. He judges every heart. He says, my son, give me thine heart. God knows whether you give him the heart or not. But I also believe that there are many people that don't intend to go to hell, but they will go there. They don't intend to. They tremble like Felix. Remember how Felix heard? And he said to the Apostle Paul, come at a more convenient time. I'll call for thee. But that time never came. I believe, friends, the road to hell is paved with many good intentions. I intend to repent. I intend to seek the Lord one day, but it never comes. They put it off, and they put it off like these kings. They put off repentance. They put off suing to Joshua for mercy. They never did. And then finally... The cave is sealed up with a stone. What a picture. I tell you, I believe there is very clearly, and Peter tells us there is a place where people are right now reserved for judgment. And this cave pictures it once you see the stone seals up the mouth of this cave. There's no hope. You can cry as loud as they want, but no help will come. What is that place? Well, Peter tells us. He speaks of the ancient world which has now perished, the days of Noah. Those spirits which are now in prison, he says. In 1 Peter 3.19, the spirits in prison, he says, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. But where are the billions now? Yes, their bodies were floating upon the crests of waves. But where are their spirits? They reserved in the place of darkness. And I know people that are there now. There's no sign that they ever repented. And I don't have any confidence that they save people I know, even family members I know that are there in that place now and are lost forever and they, there's no hope for them. See what a picture this gives us. And there are those we plead with you to seek the Lord, to find mercy while there is time. We know it's the work of grace, but you see, 
God is warning from his word. Think of the ancient cities where Christ preached. And he said, woe unto those cities. For they had been given much of the word. And caused to seek the Lord, but they never repented. He said it would be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for them. Friends, do not use the sovereignty of God in salvation as an excuse not to repent. Don't ever use that pathetic excuse. Well, if I'm elect, the Lord will reveal it to me. Then I'll come to him. Friends, it doesn't work that way. You won't find it in the word of God. But the Bible does simply tell us God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Yes, that's the great need, friends, today. Think of those billions which peak prison. Think about these kings. No opportunity. When Joshua came, it was too late. And they were slain. The only channel of mercy, friends, just like it was here, was through Joshua. But they never sought for that mercy. And you see, as you know, Jesus means Joshua, Yeshua. He is the only channel of mercy that there is. He is the only hiding place. Isaiah 32, 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment and a man shall be as a hiding place. You see, God the Father made him to be the hiding place. He torched, as it were, all the sins of his people in the very body of Christ. So all that run to him may take refuge. You say, well, I need to know whether I am Christ's. Well, the Bible, again, doesn't tell you that, does it? But it tells you that you must repent. And you must seek the Lord while he may be found. And the Lord Jesus, he proves to be that great shelter in life, the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. We think of David, remember, in the cave of Adullam and how many sinners came to him and he comforted them and he gave them consolation and he lifted their hearts. There's a picture again of Christ who's the hiding place. Though we have sinned, and though we have lived with our lives against God, Christ is the hiding place for the sinner. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. O friend, come out of hiding and seek the Lord today. Repent, for the Lord Jesus Christ said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Yes, that's it, friends, you will perish. And you will die in your sins. He said, If ye believe not, then I am he, you shall die in your sins. Remember what we read at the end of the psalm too. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little, but blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Is your trust in Christ, friends? There's no other hope, is there, but Christ Jesus? Now we approach as we draw near to an end this morning. We think here of Joshua as he comes the battle on the field is over and he draws near now with his men, with his captains 
and the time of judgment has come and the stone is rolled away in the verse 21 and all the people return to the camp to Joshua and Makeda in peace none moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel nobody stood against God's people here because they knew God was for them and then we read then said Joshua open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave and they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave now it's very instructive as we look at these kings their names are very instructive and we're going to just very very briefly consider them and I believe that really in these names are some lessons for us as Christians but I want you to think Joshua here is saying to his men his captains put your feet upon their necks now why was he doing this this is Joshua is not being barbaric here but you've got to remember that these kings were absolute tyrants and perhaps the people of God feared them and we do uh, certainly people feared people like Saddam Hussein and bin Laden and people like that in past and this certainly would have helped strengthen their faith now you think of the neck and you think of one's foot I tell you this you speak to any martial arts expert he will tell you this that you put your foot on somebody's neck it's easy to break that man's neck it's the most powerful position you can be in and doing this would have strengthened their faith and notice as as they did this as they stood over these kings brought them out and put their feet upon their necks Joshua said these words fear not nor be dismayed be strong and of good courage for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies the Lord is going to put his foot as it were on the neck of the enemies this act would have strengthened them in the faith that is what is being conveyed here Joshua is not being a bully he's not being a tyrant but this act and as he pronounces these words they would be assured that this is what God will do over their enemies now again these names are very instructive we know the first name there Adonai Zedek Adonai Lord Zedek righteousness we know as we thought before the king of Jerusalem what does Jerusalem mean well it comes from two root words Jireh or provision or vision Salem peace that's what it means but was there a vision of peace in this false king of righteousness and there's a lesson Christians you need to slay all form of comfort or consolation in a false sense of righteousness we have no righteousness of our own our righteousness is in the king of righteousness the lord jesus christ there's our only hope this is a false king satan will appear even as an angel of light and he will tell you that you're good but there is only one king of righteousness the lord jesus and throughout our lives as christians we need to remind ourselves there's no good thing in me as paul said in me dwelleth no good thing but in Christ is all my hope is all my security is all my blessing you see this is a is a king we need to slay as it were the king of our heart our heart wants to tell us we're good 
and that there's virtue and there's goodness in us. Friends, we don't have confidence in self, do we? But in Christ. The second name here, notice in the verse 3, Hoham, king of Hebron. Hoham means who God impels or forces. That's what the name means, whom God impels or forces. Now, what does Hebron mean? Hebron means fellowship. He is the king. You put these two names together, and I'm not saying that this is what this passage is essentially teaching, but it's interesting, isn't it? When we think about what we have in Christ, God does not force or impose fellowship upon us, does he? But he makes peace. On our account, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. Remember what John says, and we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus. How did that come about? God did it. He did it for us. And now the love of Christ constrains us. We need to slay all thoughts that God wants to bring us into His kingdom and that He'll be some sort of ogre over us. But you know, he delights in a cheerful heart, in a loving and a giving heart. That's what God delights in. And we need to slay all false views of Christ and of God. He's the God that delights to do us good all of our days and to bless us. And how wonderful it is that he has brought us into fellowship with him. And and it's not under any compunction. It's not under any uh, impelling. God who impels or forces? No. We have Hebron, we have fellowship. And interestingly, this would be one of the cities of refuge to come. Now, it's striking, let me just interject this for a moment. The fall here of the southern part of Canaan was very quick. It just a short while. But what we see taking place in the next chapters years and you see all of this that Joshua asks the captains to do is needful to strengthen them in the battle against wickedness the battle is going to be long and hard this is relatively quick but notice something else Piram king of Jamoth Jamoth means high Piram means wild It's true of all men, isn't it? Wild and high thoughts. And we need to rid ourselves of wild and high thoughts and stay our minds upon God in this life. We must slay all high views of ourselves and have no confidence in the flesh. The fourth, Japhia, king of Lachish. Japhia means appearing. Lachish means to self-exist. That is our natural default position, friends. To think, you know, we we exist and we continue in our own strength. Slay that king. We only exist and move and have our being by him. And we are kept by God, by the power of God through faith. Slay all confidence in self. Slay these kings of the heart. And then finally, Debe, king of Eglon. Debe means, or Debir, means sanctuary. And this word here, Eglon, means the flesh or calf sanctuary of the flesh think of the people remember back in exodus 32 how they worshiped the calf 
They needed something aesthetic. They needed something. These be thy gods that delivered thee. We worship friends, not the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh, but we, we worship in the Spirit and we glory in Christ Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul said. We have no confidence in the flesh. These are things in our Christian days that we need to slay. Things of the heart, things of men. And we put our trust in God. We worship God in the Spirit and we glory in Christ Jesus. What God wants is our hearts. You know, we need to be very wary of visible things in the church. People love to see things, don't they? Let's see a miracle. Let's see a, a sign. Let's see a wonder. Let's jump up and down and let's do silly things. To some people, that's worship. But God says, my people worship me in spirit and in truth. I am the unseen God and there is to be made no image of me. But I am the one that is to be honored. And mercy is only through the great Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we see that at least. Mercy was through Joshua. And mercy today, friends, is in the Lord Jesus. Think of these people. The cave which they fled to and trusted in for refuge became their prison. And there's a warning, if there's anything you are taking confidence in today, it could be your prison. And you will be locked there until the day of judgment. And then finally, you know, when you die, you do go to a place of prison and there's no hope, there's no purgatory there. But all that will await you is wrath. Think of those souls and I often grieve the faces that I remember in my life, people that I've seen and known that have died without Christ, and I think of them often of their torments as they await the great judgment. And these men must have been in absolute torment when that stone was rolled over the face of that cave. What a place to be in. What a place for those millions that died before or at the time of the flood. Friends, God's word has gone forth. And Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If we know Christ, let us slay these kings. Let us say, slay these things that war against him in our own souls. Put all your confidence and strength in the God who Joshua said, God will do this thing for you and will give you victory over your enemies. And he will. We are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us and gave himself for us. Friends, we live in a world that hates God. We have a heart that has a propensity to sin. Yes, sin no longer reigns. But it remains. And Paul says, If ye by the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And we shall live to be in the great Joshua's sight and thank him for all that he did for us, who bore our punishment, who became our hiding place there upon the cross, and that has promised to come again, not to judge us, but to take us to heaven and to be with him.
forever and forever. Amen.